The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Am I excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives or the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster. Very good afternoon. It's your daily guide to British politics, and I'm Roger Hearing. Well, it's been a fascinating week. We've actually learnt, I guess, a fair bit about what the various main parties would like to do if they got into power. Certainly, we had a very interesting Labour manifesto. Uh, we had the Lib Dem manifesto. And there have been various bits of the Conservative manifesto that have seen the light of day, even though the official opening, I think, is going to be early next week, possibly even Sunday. But we did learn from Boris Johnson that it's going to involve the National Insurance threshold being changed. But joining me, I'm very pleased to say here in the studio, is our Bloomberg reporter Ewan Potts. Now, uh, Ewan, you've been keeping across what's happening, so come on, bring us what the latest developments are. Well, Philip Hammond, the uh, former Chancellor of the Exchequer, has been uh, speaking at the uh, Bloomberg uh, New Economy Forum, and he says the worst outcome for Britain would be a very small Tory majority. He says that uh, if it's a slim majority, uh, the fear is that the hardliners within the party uh, will always be able to hold the leadership to ransom. Now, he didn't explain uh, if he thought that would be worse than a uh, Labour majority government. You presume not. But these days, you never quite know with these uh, disaffected uh, members of various parties. Uh, Interestingly, uh, another uh, disaffected Tory, George Osborne, another former Chancellor, in fact, uh, said he's considering voting for the Lib Dems uh, in his seat of Kensington. Presumably the former Chancellor has a nice pad in uh, in the seat. Well, that's really interesting because he was actually quite a cheerleader in the end for Boris Johnson uh, at certain points during the election of Boris Johnson as leader. And of course, he is the editor of the Evening Standard. So he, he perhaps, mean, would he swing the Evening Standard behind the Lib Dems? Yeah, somewhat surprising, isn't it? Yes, of course, the the, the paper which, has been, which laid into Theresa, Theresa May quite so ferocious has been a little bit kinder to Boris Johnson. Uh, but uh, George Osborne says that he's considering voting for Sam Gema, another former Tory who's standing for the Lib Dems in Kensington. He says, I like Sam. He's bright and sensible. So do I vote for him uh, or for the party that, however wayward it's become, gave me incredible opportunities for 20 years? So he's not quite saying he's there yet, but he's certainly uh, considering it. Now, I was saying, we've been learning a, a little bit, uh, Ewan, about what is in the party's manifesto. Technically, the Conservative one, I say, doesn't come out quite yet. But we do know a few things. They've been leaking it, let's say, both intentionally and otherwise. And the latest thing we think is to do with a surcharge on foreign house buyers? Yeah, so some of the details have been uh, dripping out. You're never quite sure if they're doing this deliberately or if it's an accident. Probably deliberately. Uh, so the Conservatives say they're going to increase the stamp duty paid by foreign buyers on UK homes. The idea is to dampen demand in the housing market and make it easier 
uh, for first-time buyers. Presumably, this would mostly be, affect, be uh, effective in London, which sees, of course, the uh, the bulk of uh, foreign purchases. It would be uh, an extra 3% surcharge on the stamp duty uh, bill for foreign purchases. They'll spend the money on uh, tackling homelessness. This, of course, uh, follow up, so follows up from uh, George Osborne's reforms uh, to taxation on housing, which has already attempted to dampen uh, the housing market by taxing uh, landlords more in the UK. So this will be hitting uh, foreign buyers uh, with the idea that it will keep uh, a lid on house prices. Now, regular listeners to Bloomberg Westminster will know that it's usually Monday we come up with uh, polling with POTS, uh, which you appear and give us all the latest. But we thought, given that this week has been rather fascinating, at least in terms of actually having some solid policies on the table, give us a picture of how the polling is going. We should add, you know, it's like it's like the health warning on all these things. Polling can be notoriously out. <laughs> but just go on, give us a list. What's going on? Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, I'm afraid that the rather uh, sad news after that uh, kind introduction is that the polls haven't really moved a great deal since we spoke at the beginning of the week. We've had loads of news. We've had the, uh, uh, the launches from most of the parties, except the Conservatives. Uh, we've had the TV debate, which is supposed to change things. Uh, but so far, the polls haven't really uh, picked up on a great deal of change. And we'd like to, put, to quote the uh, Bloomberg five poll average, uh, because uh, uh, picking out single polls can be uh, pretty dangerous. So the five poll average from Bloomberg's says that the Conservatives are on 42%, Labour on 30%, the Lib Dems on 14%, and then uh, Brexit on 4%, Green on 3 and the SNP on 4 Now, that all translates to a Conservative lead of uh, around 12.5%, and that is pretty much identical to how it was uh, on Monday after before all that uh, stuff happened. Uh, just have a quick look at the uh, seat market. Uh, I've just been looking at the, uh, the sporting... The seat market? What's the seat market? Well, sporting index do uh, a rather uh, useful spread betting market on the number of seats. Ah. So if you're convinced you know how many seats one of the parties is going to get, you can have a little spread bet. Uh, okay. Other companies uh, also do this. Uh, and this is a useful predictor exactly uh, where gamblers reckon the parties will end up. Uh, and at the moment, they think the Conservatives will get 3-4-3. Three, three. So that's uh, a majority of What's that? About, uh, about, about 13, or... I think, yes. Something like that. Uh, uh, the Labour Party, 206. Okay. Uh, and the Lib Dems, 31. Okay. Uh, now, this has moved a little bit over the last few days. Um, Labour was on around about uh, 200 at the beginning of the week. So, the gamblers reckon that Labour are about six points better off than they were, six, sorry, six seats uh, better off than okay. at the beginning of the week. So, there has been some shift away from the Tories and to Labour, uh, according to the spread betters. All right. Well, you'll make sure and come back when the, the office sweepstake gets going. <laughs> anyway, we won't go anywhere there. Right. Thanks very much indeed, you and Potts, who will return with polling with Potts, of course, on Monday. But I'm very pleased to say joining me now in the London studio is Ian Anderson, who's chairman of Cicero Group, the UK's biggest independent lobbying agency. He's also written a book. Now, Ian, you've thrown me a bit of a wobbly in this. First of all, good afternoon and welcome. Great to be here. Because the title of your book, uh, well, if I can only say, it says F, big F, and then three asterisks, and then business. I think we all know what we're referring to, but <laughs> in the nature of broadcasting, I won't be actually able to say perhaps what it's referring to. But it's a fascinating book, uh, I have to say. It it's, takes me in Thank all you. sorts of interesting areas. Reminds me, actually, of a few things along the way, because the subtitle is The Business of Brexit, and it has been uh, a rather, let's say, a difficult business, I think, in many ways. But also you're talking, of course, about the business community and how it responds. And one of the most fascinating things, I have to say, Chapter 1, The Road to Bloomberg. And now you're here. So I can only say, well, this is obviously prescient. It all past. started here. <laughs> Explain the title of the book, The Road to Brexit. So, the Road to Bloomberg, I should say. Well, really, um, that takes us back to the early part of 2013. 
and David Cameron turned up at a different Bloomberg building when it you was, were in it was the one we were in place, before the yes. original building uh, to lay out his prospectus for uh, a Brexit not that we called it Brexit then but it soon became that referendum and you know you've just been talking about George Osborne his chancellor George Osborne said don't do this David uh, it's a gamble and it's maybe a gamble too far the calculation, I think, was that the Conservatives wouldn't win a majority on their own. And actually, I try and unpack that a bit in the book. And I remember sitting down with Liz Truss, uh, Cabinet Minister under Cameron, Cabinet Minister under Theresa May, Cabinet Minister still under uh, Boris Johnson, who told me right at the end of 2014... Uh, don't believe the polls. Don't believe all this stuff about millifandom, all the all the excitement. Do you remember that about Ed way, Miliband? Yes. You know, Do you remember I agree with Nick. That was all of well. that, mm. yeah. And uh, she told me uh, she was being sent weekend after weekend after weekend to the southwest of England when she was in the um, farming environment brief. And that it was looking very good for the Tories. And look what happened. Of course, whoops, he got that majority and then had to go and deliver the referendum that he promised here at Bloomberg. There we are. Be careful what you promise, I think, is probably the uh, the big lesson from that one. But but that is, in a way, I guess, prehistory. It's fascinating. And you, you take it through on this. And let me just, just uh, tell people, because the world you move in, you're, you're a lobbyist. Is that that's a I, you, I'm very happy to happy be described to as a lobbyist. Right. Well, yeah. You're a lobbyist. You move in that world. Yes. And you hear these things. And you're in a very good position to assess. And one of the interesting things is you've been assessing how the business community has come through this because the title of your book which as i say we can't really say in full is famously from a quote now the quote was from boris johnson and i'll have to find it in here because i did mark it because i thought it's fascinating the circumstances under which it appeared because uh, what happened was i think david frost who was uh, one of boris's uh, advisors uh, who, boris, who still is he's who gone still back is, in into fact, government yes. yeah uh, now, apparently boris was surrounded by people in uh, a tent at lancaster house very hot and absolutely rammed he kept being asked about brexit why are you doing this why are you doing this business doesn't like it and then he kind of snapped and he said that phrase which has resonated do you think it actually was more than just a slip do you think he meant some of that i think that at that moment he did um huge frustration and and why uh, from the political class because business had just got itself into the wrong place. It kind of hadn't listened to what had happened in 2016. I spent most of the rest of 2016, after the referendum result, trying to get politicians to change their minds on behalf of business. And they said, well, no, hang on, listen to the voters. What have they just said? And, and there was a period for about a year uh, where business sort of had its fingers in its ears only really by about 2017, when after Theresa May's failed election, after Theresa May had said that we wouldn't be part of the single market, wouldn't be part of the customs union, that business really started to get serious about preparing. But the big, big, big thing I've been asked to do through this period was to ensure that there would be no cliff edge, there would be no hard Brexit. And Boris just didn't want to hear that at that time. Ian, we're going to unpack a lot more of this in the second half of the programme. But just one, if you tell me, do you think in some ways Boris Johnson still feels, perhaps, 
that 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 emotion expressed in that phrase to some extent now i think what he feels is he feels real frustration by some of the big generalist lobby groups people like the cbi let's be honest you saw that in on monday when he addressed the cbi conference but does he think that about business generally? No, I, I don't believe that. And I think if he wins the election, and really what I kind of try and point to in the book, is I think he's going to try and put rocket boosters under under business. Welcome back to Bloomberg Westminster with me, Roger Hearing. And today my guest in the studio with me is the man who wrote the book F, Star Star K, Business, The Business of Brexit, Ian Anderson of the Cicero Group. We've been talking about how Brexit came about and the clash with business that it preempted, of course, which produced that famous quote from Boris Johnson. I'm going to carry on my subject, my discussion with him in just a second. But first, we're going to give you a little flavour of what pieces there are in the papers today that have provoked our thoughts. First of all, the Financial Times, very provocative. Labour's manifesto adds up to a recipe for decline is the headline on one of their opinion pieces. The Labour Party manifesto is nothing more than a blueprint for socialism in one country, the FT says. The combination of punitive tax increases, sweeping nationalisation and the end of Thatcher-era union reforms turns the clock back 40 years. Set alongside a vast expansion of the state based on spending amounting to 6% of national income, Labour's plans, the FT says, are a recipe for terminal economic decline. All right, let's get the opposite then, The Guardian. Guardian has a piece by Gary Young saying, After a decade of decay, Labour's manifesto offers us hope for the future. The party's painted a picture of a greener, fairer society, he says, and reminded us of the values that made Corbyn party leader. He says, if one thing has happened is the presentation of an alternative, living at a time when many find it easier to imagine the end of the world as we know it than the end of capitalism as we know it. That, Gary Young says, is no small thing. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. And finally, a piece from the Eastern Daily Press, the regional press. Now, this is absolutely key. Indeed, John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, was talking about it this morning, the importance of registering to vote. Eastern Daily Press says, don't let pensioners shape your future. UK's youth must register and vote. There's a piece by Rachel Moore saying there's no point having a political opinion if you're not going to vote. Folding your arms, she says, and sitting in the corner in a sulk will get no one anywhere. And with almost all pensioners ready to vote and only one in three eligible teenagers not registered, we risk the over 65s determining the shape of the country for future generations. Put like that to young people, they should stampede to the polling booths. So there we are. Get out and register. And in this case, it seems, as far as Eastern Daily Press is concerned, avoid pensioners shaping what happens next in the country. Well... With me, someone very much not a pensioner, I'm sure. Uh, Ian Anderson, who's chair of the uh, Cicero Group, as we said. And we're talking about his book. So, 
The book, we've already mentioned the slightly difficult to talk about title, but nonetheless a strong reflection on what was said at a certain point. But there are various interesting things in it. And one of the things, the themes that fascinated me was you say, but business also needs to be frank with itself. A large part of the reason why it's been shut out of the debates in the last decade is a direct result of the financial crisis, excessive executive pay and the impact of austerity. Now that does strike home, Ian, because uh, many people feel that the vote in 2016 at the beginning was a kind of rejection of all that, and that's what has led to this. Is that too much of a caricature? Um, No. I mean, part of the reason why politicians can stand apart from business, and and again, I think one of the most interesting things for me is it's not just centre-left politicians that want to stand apart from business. I mean, when Boris said F business... He didn't apologise. He kind of recalibrated what he wanted to say when he went into the Tory leadership campaign a full year later. But when he said F business, it's only three weeks after that that he resigned from the cabinet um, after the so-called checkers agreement. But he resigned from the cabinet about that. He didn't resign as a centre-right politician for saying F business, for kind of attacking wealth creation. Because at the heart of this conversation is, if you like, the corporatists, some would characterise them as the rent seekers, those who just end up getting the job sitting atop this money-making machine versus and really it is, I think, in a lot of conservatives' minds, versus the entrepreneurs. And it was fascinating during the Brexit debate itself where the Remain campaign tended to look to FTSE and Fortune incumbents to tell their story, however reluctantly, and the Leave campaign looked to those plucky entrepreneurs uh, like the CEO Aaron Banks? Uh, or the CEO of Weatherspoon or the CEO of Dyson, you know, self-made multimillionaires, but the clues in just that, self-made business people. And I, and I think politicians try and paint the difference. So, so in essence, what you're saying is, that, because a lot of people say, well, how can it be that the party, traditional party of business, and business overwhelmingly saying, no, we'd rather stay in the European Union, somehow has become the driving force for something that goes completely against the establishment business. And it, what are the Conservatives if they're not the party of the establishment? Well, I, again, what I try to tell is a story way before we got to the Brexit referendum itself. And the time when, you know, Tony and Gordon were in power. Now, what happened then? The Conservative Party wasn't very electable. I see this as a lobbyist. And, uh, you know, what does business do? It wants to spend time with those who are in power. And that's what happened late 90s. The famous prawn cocktail circuit. Yeah, all of that through to 2010. But what also happened, as the Conservative Party got more Eurosceptic had to face off the challenge of, at the time, uh, the UK Independence Party and Nigel Farage. What was also going on was that business was focusing on Brussels. Why was it focusing on Brussels? Because as a result of the, particularly the Lisbon agenda in 2000, without getting too geeky about this, but basically the opening up of the single market opportunities, a lot of big multinational businesses said, you know what, we can spend time in Brussels 
have a much, much more efficient conversation about the rules and regulations that are going to affect our business. We don't necessarily need to think about all these national capitals. And they invested a huge amount of time on the Brussels conversation and they didn't necessarily listen in to so what was taking place in Westminster. It was their own fault then. You're saying you're saying that the alienation uh, from the national debate was really a kind of myopia in the boardrooms of the city. A lot of multinationals just missed the beat. And when it came to the referendum in 2016, the sense was, well, hang on, we'll send a few million to the Remain campaign and, um, you know, that'll do the trick because it's it's economically obvious, isn't it, that globalisation and the EU benefits everyone? Doesn't it? And, well, look, when we got to the summer of 2016, they weren't even scratching their heads. I actually found business more emotional. Business is not supposed to be emotional. Business is supposed to be rational, numbers-led. Does everything on the basis of reason and a clear set of evidence. What we found was that business leaders threw their toys out of the pram. Is this also, I mean, more than just, okay, we're not in touch with the people who voted the way they did in 2016, was it a metropolitan problem, the fact that the City of London, that big business is here around us, where we're sitting now, and that the vast majority of those who voted to leave were far away from that and therefore really had no connection with any of the business you're talking about? So, uh, alarm bells rang for me in the 2014 Scottish Independence referendum, as given my accent. Indyref 1, I think. Indyref 1. Yes. Uh, maybe we're heading to another one. Well, who knows? Yes. But I would talk to boards and I would go in and talk about the political weather and what's going on to advise them. And the number of times I, I heard in 2014... Do you know anybody who's voting for Scottish independence? I don't. And my response to that was, yes, guys, because it usually is guys. You don't meet people voting for um, Scottish independence in the first class Concord lounge at Heathrow, do you? And the same thing I saw echoes of this in spades in, in 2016, when polling evidence was presented to some of the city groups and some of the, uh, the business groups saying, look, people are concerned about immigration. People are concerned about the way in which the EU operates. They're concerned about a whole variety of things. Um, you need to address this. And the message became from, you know, many grandees, um, no, 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 we don't need to change the message. We just need to pump up the volume. Well, that really worked, didn't it? And the idea of the idea which um, just about worked in 2014 of politicians getting CEOs and chairs, boardrooms effectively, to tell people how to vote they tried to do again in 2016. It just about worked in Scotland. It failed on Brexit. All right. that's In a way, this is history we're talking about now. What about going forward from where we are? Is the business that you're talking to and talking about still alienated from the, the, the political mainstream as it almost is now in Britain? Well, 
uh, just briefly backwards, then I'll go forwards. Briefly backwards, a a big American inward investor said on one of the endless conference calls that the Theresa May government had about trying to inform business about what was going on, which all they did was confuse people further about what was taking place. I heard on one of those calls, and again, I say it in the book, say, I, I now don't believe a word you politicians say anymore. So, look, trust is at rock bottom. And I point to one or two business leaders to talk about that. Are businesses happy that there is a deal? Yes. Are businesses happy that um, there will be a transition if a new UK, new UK parliament signs off a deal, yes. What are businesses worried about next? They're worried about another cliff edge at the end of 2020. Now, I don't think we're going to get there because I think Boris's inclination, as we saw in the autumn, is to get a deal and to get transition. So in the end, perhaps business is beginning to realise at least uh, the area they don't know. I mean, it's the known unknowns, perhaps, is the important thing. And the known problems that they have with uh, certain areas of the country that perhaps will help them going forward. Ian, thank you so much for being with me. Fascinating book, I have to say. Uh, Very, very interesting on some of the detail and the ways in which these decisions have been made and the ways in which many of the business leaders that you're talking about perhaps felt excluded from that and perhaps didn't even really tune into the conversation, the national conversation that was going on in the lead up to that referendum, of course, in 2016. Ian, thanks very much indeed. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.